Welcome back to Eighties One Podcast. I'm Taylor, and I'm Bailey. And Bailey, before we started this podcast, you were saying that you started this movie at four o two a.m. Yeah, so I started this new journal thing, kind of for the movies we watch. So I'm taking live notes, like handwritten, while I'm watching it, pausing the movie as needed to like get my thoughts out. And part of that is labeling when I start the movie. So I labeled when I started this movie, and I started it March 2nd at 4.02 a.m. I cannot believe that you were doing that. Yeah. I'm I'm glad that you're doing that, I guess. We'll be able to auction it off at a later date when we've built up our Patreon. That'll be the top-tier supporter list, is that you get a page from the notebook. It's mostly gibberish. I mean, most of the things you say are gibberish, and somehow people still listen to this podcast. That's really hurtful. So what are we doing today, Taylor? Do you have anything special? Normally you have something for us. Well, yeah, and what I have for you today that is so special is I'm going to let you in. You're going to let me in? I'm going to let you in because I think that it's time. Like emotionally? Yes. I don't know if I want that. I'm not ready for that kind of commitment, bud. Well, my therapist says I need to open up more and start letting people in, so I figured this would probably be the appropriate time to do it. See, I'm more likely to get out than to be let in. I mean, why though? Why would you want to get out when you could be let in? Because what if I let the wrong one in? Well, then you'd just say nope. That's fair. Is it fair? That was pretty clever. Thank you. If you did not pick up on what we were doing, we are doing the 2010 American version of a movie known as Let the Right One In. Well, you could just say Let Me In because that's what the American version is called. I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. Me too. That's why we do this. This one podcast? With two idiots? (laughs) But now we're doing Let Me In 2010, which starring Cody Smith-McPhee, Chloe Grace Moritz, Richard Jenkins, and I believe that's really the notable people alongside Elias Cotis. Too bad it's not Leroy Jenkins. It's not Leroy Jenkins. You you are correct. And this movie was directed by Matt Reeves. Love me some Matt Reeves. This is the only movie by him that I'm familiar with. But I also didn't like do thorough research of him to see other works he's done. Don't worry, we can do that. But it was also written by Matt Reeves and... I am going to butcher this. So out of respect for this person, it is John Lindquist. Lindquist. I think so, yeah. Who did the original screenplay for Let the Right One In. And he wrote the book that it was based off of, right? I believe so. Which means that, yes, I have butchered his name. I apologize. But thank you for what you have done. Yeah, absolutely. It was a... Pretty pretty solid watch, in my opinion. On a scale from one to five, one being super dope. I apologize. One being super lame, five being super dope, and 2.5 being the most middle of the line possible. What would you give this movie? Well, if one is super dope and five is lame, then this is probably a two for me. Okay, so what if one was super lame and five was super dope? Well, if that was the case and you flipped it and did it the way that it was supposed to be, I would say that it's a four. A four is a a commendable score. Why would you give it that? I think that it has its issues, but overall it is a very dark, suspenseful, gritty love story that also has vampiric elements into it. But I, I do feel like the storytelling was done exceptionally well. There are a couple of parts of the movie that were a little uncomfortable at times, which we'll get get to. But overall, it's a great movie that every time I watch it, it's, it's up there for vampire movies. I recommend it to people. Every time I watch it, I have fun with it. I don't go, oh, this one again, we're watching Twilight. I don't do that one. Yeah, Twilight isn't one I'd want to rewatch either. No, but let me in. I mean, even let the right one in, which I haven't seen let the right one in in a very, very long time. So I don't, I remember one scene very particular about it, but, and that's why we did not do that movie. If you were wondering, (laughs) but what would you give it? One to five. 
I would probably give this movie a 3.5 for the same reasons as you. Like, I thought the storytelling was done really well. There were a couple scenes that I really liked. There were some things that were uncomfortable. But overall, I would say that it was a solid movie. The issues I have with it are more like just it's a remake, you know? Right. It's not the original. Exactly. And because of that, that diminishes my ability to give a high score because you're not doing your own idea. You're doing someone else's idea and you're just adding a few subtle twists to make it yours and taking out stuff that would be seen as inappropriate from some audiences. And I would agree with you on that one if the original person hadn't worked on it. If it was just Matt Reeves and not John okay i can see where you're coming from but because john was involved in it then there's there's credit to it because it's more true i guess to the original yeah less of a retelling and someone else's perspective and more of a of a retelling with the assistance of the original a a retelling in america it's an american version of it that's why i started out with saying that it's the american version even though it's called something else Right, just like Funny Games, the original and the American version, same director. I mean, that's not a thing, so... It is. No, it's not. There's only one Funny Games. There are two. There are not two. There's only one. But what do you think Roger Ebert gave it? Because he was alive, so this is an actual Roger Ebert score. And just for fun, I'm going to tell you the title that he gave it. Okay. Because it was kind of funny. It's not all fun... Games and Team Edward. So based off that title and your knowledge of Roger Ebert, what do you think he gave this movie on his scale? On his scale, probably a three. Close, 3.5. That was my second guess. Because the way he has worded that title, especially since this came out after the Twilight thing had already started, it was probably like him going, oh yes, good vampire movies to counteract the shitty vampire movies. And you are correct because the I'll read this little snippet of it. This is the opening to the article. Let Me In, like the Swedish film that inspired it, deals brutally with the tragic life of the vampire. It's not all fun, games, and Team Edward. No lifestyle depending on fresh human blood can be anything but desperate. A vampire, like a drug addict, is driven by need. After a certain point, all else is irrelevant and the focus is on the craving. So this might be one of the times, one of the very few times that Roger Ebert and Two Idiots One Podcast agree. Exactly, because what he said is almost exactly how I feel about this movie, especially when compared to Twilight. If you compare it to Twilight, then absolutely, then hits the nail on the head. I don't think that, I think Twilight is fun in games. If I was to do the opposite of that, I would say it is all fun in games talking about Twilight. There's not the depravity i guess that is dealt which we'll we'll get into that in the spoiler section but i enjoyed it for what it was even though it is a retelling of a swedish film doesn't matter it's still great you should watch it you should watch both actually if you like this one then you'll definitely like the original from what i can remember i i am right there with you normally i would recommend the original first because even though we decided not to do it in my personal opinion, I think that it is better than Let Me In. Let the right one in? No. Is better than Let Me In. Yes, exactly. In my opinion. But that's that's all I think we need to do for discussing its original. And Do you want to do the rest of the podcast just focusing on this bad boy? Yeah, because I, I think that we could probably do a separate one on the original and then compare the elements to it. Because, again, it's been a very long time since I've seen it. But the reason that that I picked to do this one is I felt like more people would know about this one and have seen it compared to the other. I think we can do the other now and it would be okay, but I just felt like our audience would know this one more and would be more interested in hearing that. That's fair. I mean, this one has Chloe Grace Moretz in it and she wasn't super popular as an actress when this came out, but since then she's been in a number of solid series and solid movies she was in the live action tom and jerry movie and this was the movie that made me like her 
Yeah, I, this is the first time I remember seeing her growing up. Uh, the first time I ever saw her was Kick Ass. Because she was Hit Girl in Kick Ass, and that came out before this movie. I'm pretty confident I saw this before I saw Kick Ass. Really? Yeah, I didn't end up seeing Kick Ass until a few years ago. Like, Kick Ass 2 was already out by the time I saw the first one. So, Kick Ass is where I found her, and I was like, man, she's uh, she's interesting. But I don't know. Saw this movie, and I was like, that's it. Because comparing the two together, you can see the range. And she was young whenever she did this, because I think she's around our age. I think so. I'm not sure. She might be a year or two older than us, or um, a year or two older than me. You know what? Let me look it up real quick before we move on. I guess we can uh, roll the spoiler music while we do that. That was some great spoiler music. Oh, absolutely. So another movie that she was in that really that I really enjoyed was uh, Carrie. Like I like the original Carrie a lot. Oh, she is just slightly older than I am. Oh, really? Yeah, February 10th, 97. Oh, damn. She's a little bit younger than I thought. So, yeah, we're pretty much the same age. But, yeah, Carrie. Carrie was great, too. She's she's done a lot. And I would like to say that this is what attributed to that, this film. Like I said, this is the first thing I remember seeing her in. I mean, it's the first thing that really stands out. Because there was Kick-Ass, Let Me In. I wonder if Kick-Ass... I wonder if Kick-Ass came out now, looking at it. Because they both came out in the same year. I want to say it was a few months. But it doesn't matter. She's good. I would watch any movie that she's in. Just kidding, not every movie. There's some that are probably bad, like the live-action Tom and Jerry. I thought that was okay. Yeah, We'll review that someday. I don't, I don't know about that, but... I thought it was okay. We right. reviewed okay movies on the podcast, Bailey. I mean, that's fair. And so where do you want to start this conversation? So I think the easiest place to start would be with the concept of evil, which is a lot of what this movie's about. Yes. It starts like at the very beginning when it's got Ronald Reagan on the TV talking about, you know, religion and politics and, you know, drugs and depravity in the country. And it really sets the tone for the era because this is set in, you know, 1983. In New Mexico, I believe. Yeah, in Los Alamos. New Mexico, 1983. And I think the conversation that he even has with his dad about evil because that was one thing that i wanted to talk about and i guess i'm glad that we started here because when owen calls his dad and wants to talk because he can't find his mom because his mom's a piece of shit but he's calling his dad and he's asking what is evil like you know is evil real and he immediately jumps to what has your mother been telling you she's been filling your head with that religious bullshit just this is why blah 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 it just immediately goes off doesn't try to console him or answer any questions just immediately starts going on this rant about your mother is now evil by filling your head with these evil things after he just you know witnessed a vampire which he doesn't really know is a vampire but he does know it's a vampire i'm pretty sure he knows well he calls her a vampire because he even asks her like are you a vampire after that yeah so but i'm pretty sure he knows well, so do you, so I guess the question would be, do you think Abby is evil? For sure. Why? The way I see this movie is it's about, it's the story about her, whereas some vampire movies focus on the victims or whatever. This movie focuses on Abby the vampire. And it shows the story of of her basically entrancing Owen into becoming her new thrall. So it shows her current helper who goes out and he collects people for her. He gets blood for her. Which is Richard Jenkins. Yeah. yeah, Richard. Which you might know from a ton of movies. Exactly. But he is her thrall. He's been with her forever, which you can tell in the photos that she has from the photo booth. Which you can tell it's the same guy because he's wearing super thick glasses. So because of that, it's showing that he's been caring for her forever. 
and so long that she's like, oh, yeah, he's my quote-unquote dad at the hospital. That's what she's convinced people. But she won't tell Owen how old she is. She says, oh, I'm 12, but I've been 12 for a really long time. So when this dude was young, she was still 12. So there's not even evidence that he's the first person that has been her thrall, that has been her servant to protect her during the day when she has to worry about the sun and to bring her blood when she can't go out on her own. And this is the story of her convincing Owen to fill that role because she knows that her current one's about to wear out. I can respect that, but I see it as a love story because I think that she genuinely cared about him. I don't think that he was a thrall. I genuinely care about my Xbox. It doesn't mean it's not an object for me to use as I please, and that's all that Owen is to Abby, in my opinion. Well, no, because even her dad lover, that sounded wrong, shouldn't have said that. Now you could say it. I mean, everything that he does, he does because he cares about her, right? And she gets mad because she's hangry. That's just what it is. She, You can see when she has her stomach growling and she like hunches over in physical pain because she hasn't had blood in a while. You can make the argument that she's just hangry and that's why she's yelling at him. But she did care about him. And you can see it when she's trying to figure out where he's at in the hospital because he gets into the car accident and then burns off his face with acid. And that whole interaction, you know, she's like, can I come in? And he shakes his head because he can't talk. So he can't say, yes, you can come in, which I liked that they did that. I thought that was cool. But in that instance, the touch that she gives him, even the touch that she gives him when he's like, I don't want you to see that boy anymore. That caress, that gentle caress of a lover, right? It's tender for sure. Yeah, it's a tender, gentle caress, which means that she cares about him and does in fact love him or did but at the same time she is technically always going to be 12 and you can see the mentality between the two because i don't think that he was ever like maybe he became a thrall at the end but when they got together it was because she genuinely felt something towards him because the way that she interacts with him even the way that he interacts or she interacts with with owen but because she's technically always going to be 12 and stuck perpetually in that 12-year-old mindset, there becomes a time where, you know, the 70-year-old mindset, because you've aged, you've grown wiser, and she's stuck in time forever. Like, there's there's differences. You technically grow apart. I'm not saying that she's not a sympathetic villain, and I'm not saying that, you know, she doesn't have her own plight. What I'm saying is, based on the perspective the movie's shot, I don't think she is innocent and sweet. She might care about Owen. You know, she protects him from his bullies. She gives him decent advice with dealing with his bullies. But was that advice to help him, or was that advice to further alienate him from his peers so that it would be easier for her to convince him to leave with her, to carry her in the chest to safety? No, because she had already left at that point. She said, you know, I have to leave now because she kills the officer. And then immediately comes back. Like, but like, you don't know that. She didn't leave. She might have left after she killed the officer, but she didn't leave because she was watching Owen waiting for the opportunity to to take him away. So she was like, oh, perfect. He's getting bullied here. They might kill him, which they might have killed him. And what she did to them was totally justified. And that's my favorite scene. Oh, yeah, mine too. Because of the way he comes under, he's upside down coming into the water. Oh, and it's all shot from the POV, or not the POV, but, but the underwater. underwater perspective. Yeah, phenomenal. Great. Phenomenal shot. But she was watching for that to happen. And yeah, she decided to help to save Owen. But was the level of extreme she went to because it was necessary or was it to make it to where Owen would be seen as potentially the one who did it so he would have to run away with her? Because from the way I saw it, the whole reason that she was that violent in there was to make it to where Owen had no choice but to run away or go to juvie and then prison 
or go to a psych ward or an insane asylum. See, I, I totally disagree. I think that she was protecting him because she cared about him and it can did be that. Both. No, she did it out of a fit of rage because she was mad that they were harming him. Because she says way earlier in the movie when she gives him the advice of you have to hit back. Well, what if there? Well, if there's three of them. Well, they hit back harder. And you know, what if that doesn't work? Then I'll help you. I think that she meant that. She was watching him. She was trying to protect him. And when they were holding him underwater to essentially drown him, because that's what would have happened. I mean, the dude did say three minutes and then shoves his head underwater. You can't get a breath like that in three minutes. Like you didn't fill he didn't fill his lungs up with enough air. There was no way he was gonna stay underwater that long. Right, but even Kenny, right? Is Kenny the kid? The brother, yeah. Yeah, so even Kenny, when he was doing that, was like, yo, dog, maybe stop. He's been under there for a long time. So because of that, I because the thing is, even the young bully wasn't a bad guy. He was taking his what his brother did to him out on Owen. No, no, Kenny was a bad guy. Let me rephrase that because he was a bad guy. He was a bully, but the reason he was a bully was because he was being bullied. But when it came to the end, when Owen was being drowned, he's mentioned to his brother, yo, dog, listen, maybe you ought to stop. He's been under there for a long time. Had Abby not rolled in and just murdered him all, there's a potential he wouldn't have died and they would have given up or let him up. And then when they let him up, what would have happened is he would have gouged out his eye. I don't think so, dude. No, No, because he split his brother's ear. That was the whole thing. You literally said an ear for an eye. I, I recognize the revenge story that was going on. Yeah, which is why I think if Abby hadn't have rolled in to save the day, they would have kept him underwater the full time. He would have drowned because they were trying to drown him. His, his brother's, Kenny's brother's intention, which never says his name, but his intentions were to harm Owen. And I think that he would have held him under there and then he would have brought him up realized, oh shit, I drowned him. And then they would have left him there and ran. I think that Kenny probably regretted what he did in the moment, but he didn't do anything to stop him. He didn't stop his brother. He just said, hey man, maybe you shouldn't do that. Right, but immediately after doing that, Abby was already rolling in, tearing head off, swinging people through the water upside down. Yeah, and they all deserved it. I'm not saying they didn't. I am 100% on the boat that if you're a bully, especially to the extent that they were bullying him, that you should get fucked up. Yeah. Not necessarily ripped apart by a vampire, but fucked up for sure. No, you should, if you're attempting to murder somebody, you should be ripped up by a vampire. Right, but it's not necessarily attempted murder. They could have just been fucking around, bro. There is no way that they were fucking around because they started a dumpster fire, locked the teacher out to make sure that they could clear the pool, I believe is the exact words that they say, make everybody get out. When he runs to the locker room and pulls out the knife, they say, what are you going to do? And then they grab him and drag him by the ankles all the way to the pool to throw him in and hold him underwater and then say, if you come up, in with before the time period, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut your eye out. And if not, I'm just going to give you a little nick on the cheek. And then shove him underwater and forcefully hold him underwater. You know what I think is wild? How you think that the the normal kids that are just regular bullies that you have hundreds of in every state in the U.S. that are just as bad. You think that they're like pure evil going for like murder. But the vampire who we literally see kill multiple people, you're like, oh no, she was just a sweet little girl sucking a vamp or a sweet little vampire sucking a little girl's body. It was a love story. Yeah, it was a love story. I don't know, bro. I feel like I, I don't think so. I mean, she did what she didn't just kill for no reason. I mean, Everything that she did was for a reason. There was only one time that she killed for no reason. And that was when the neighbor girl she attacked. 
That wasn't for no reason. She was hungry. Well, no, she was in a in a blood craze. Yeah, because of Owen's blood making her hungry. Yeah, but she could control herself because she looked at Owen. Did not. I mean, if she could not control herself, here's my argument. She would have attacked him and ripped out his throat. But she said, "Go," and then runs off and then does some, you know, ninjutsu parkour up the tree, and waits for her to go by, and then. Spider monkeys. Spider monkeys. Yeah. Yeah. Surprise. Ambush. Sneak attack. Boom. Yeah. So she had enough self-control to be able to do that, to not harm him because she liked him. Because he's her thrall. No. He made a Morris code thing. Yeah, because he was a real sweet boy. He was creepy. Watching his neighbors through his little telescope. He was creepy. But he's still a sweet little boy. Well, because he's an outcast. He's a reject. Nobody in that school liked him. I mean, he was the... He was the kid that got picked on and bullied. That doesn't mean you need to watch your neighbors through a telescope. He was 12. His hormones were racing. Okay. I'm just saying. It's probably, you ever been 12 and you're looking at, you know, naked ladies on the internet? Yeah. Yeah, see? It's the same thing. His was just in real life. No, it's not the same thing because on the internet where they choose to post them, not not through the window that they choose to leave open. Oh, wait, it's the same thing. They're both being viewed through windows. Yeah. I didn't think about it like that. There you go. And they left the curtains open. Okay, they started to do it with the curtains open. Okay, that's like leaving your door open and somebody walks in and then just sits down and you're like, get the fuck out of my house. No, you left the door open, okay? You were inviting me in. That's not how that works. You have to say it or else, you know, you could bleed everywhere. Only they're a vampire. Again, that was a really cool element that I liked. That was such a cool scene. Yeah. Where she where because it's so funny to me because that was one of the things that never I never understood about the old vampire ways was you have to invite them into your home. They can go anywhere but your home because it's your home. And when he goes, well, "What's stopping you? Why can't you just come in?" was the most logical thing in the entire world and thought that it was funny, and then she kind of looks at him and goes, "Okay." It walks in everything's cool and he's like okay nothing happened and then she starts shaking and blood's coming out of every you know orifice in her body and all of a sudden he's like you can come in you can come in you can come in stop it yeah and then her reaction was i don't know just something that happens like this happens all the time yeah i knew you'd save me it's no big d yeah i was testing you buddy was little as I was testing you. Seeing if you'd make a good little thrall. No, if you would make a good partner. I'm telling you, it's a love story. It can be both. There is no love between a vampire and their thrall. The vampire does not love the thrall. That's why it's a thrall. I mean, it could care for it. She chose Owen because, like her, Owen was an outcast. She chose Owen because she, he has a deadbeat dad who isn't there for him and his mom is at work all the time. Did you notice how it never showed her face? Her mom? His mom? Yeah. Yeah, it did. No, it doesn't. It never shows her face. Every time that there's like even a glimpse of her face or whatever, it's blurry. There's the reflection in the mirror. There's one time where you get like half of her face and it's just her lower half. Like it never shows her full face. Okay, so that might be the case, because I was thinking of the scene where she was talking on the phone with the dad and then laying on the couch, but I guess when she was laying on the couch, she was crying, covering her face. Yeah, you never see her full face. Like, I didn't know what she looked like until I looked her up, and I just thought that that was an interesting aspect, which probably has something to do with the fact that it's the representation of her, uh, of him not being able to see her, her being so distant and in her own fantasy because she's like depressed obviously that's another one of my thinkings is she was absent and the reason that she was as absent as she was was to make it easier for owen to be enthralled by abby because it's less people to care about him less people who are like looking out for him in a legitimate way well, no, because I think his parents were caught up in their own bullshit. I think that they were more focused on the divorce because from what I could gather, their divorce was pretty recent. Well, it had been in the past couple of months, hadn't it? Because that's what uh, Owen's dad says when he calls him. I'm sorry, I haven't seen you in a few months, maybe next weekend. 
that doesn't mean anything. That could just be that their visitation stopped for whatever reason. It could have been a couple of years. But from stuff like that in the way that she has wine bottles everywhere and looks like she's heavily drinking says to me, okay, this was probably recent and it probably had something to do with him cheating on her. If I had to guess, I would say he cheated on her and then she left. What what makes you think that? He's the one who is away. She kept Owen. They're living in a shitty apartment. Dog, this movie was made in 2010. Yeah. This this isn't this is just me being anecdotal and you know a lot of people might disagree with but based on my experience and what I've seen in my personal life the mom almost always gets the kids. Well, that's Oklahoma. I mean, it might be New Mexico too, especially in the 80s when this was t- took place. Well, if it was in the 80s and he definitely cheated. I mean, that's fair. Yeah, see thank you for proving my point. I mean, I don't know what the 80s has to do with definitely cheating. Dog, it was the 80s. Everybody was cheating and doing cocaine. I don't... Okay. Yeah. I wasn't around for the 80s. I just watched a lot of (laughs) 80s movies. I think the best... So what was the the best scene for you? No, I mean, we already talked about it. My favorite scene was the pool scene while Owen is underwater and Abby is fucking him up. Specifically, when the bully glides headfirst through the water and is screaming yeah i that is so amazing i love that scene so much the only issue i have with that scene is i don't understand why he kept holding him underwater when everybody was getting fucked up he wasn't his hand was still on owen's head because his arm had been ripped off because you can see the arm, like, Owen reach up and pull the arm down, and he's just holding dude's fucking arm. Oh, yeah, you're right. That does happen. Yeah, so it's more of Owen sitting down there because crazy stuff is happening all around him, and he's in shock because he's hanging on to this dude who was trying to kill him's arm. And he did see his head fall off into the water. Oh, yeah. She ripped him up, dude. Like, that's some brutal shit. Oh, yeah, she obliterated him. I think the only one that... Yeah, I mean, she obliterates them all. I think the other scene that I really enjoyed was uh, the the neighbor lady when she turns into a vampire. And then bursts into flames? Yeah. And is, like, ripping her arm off? Yeah, that's pretty badass. I thought that was just a really cool scene because you see her in the background start to kind of look at her arm and raise it up, and then it looks like she's sucking on the open wound. And when the nurse comes in to open the blinds, you see that she's just been going ham on her fucking arm, bloods everywhere. And then she immediately starts screeching. Her skin starts to boil and then she just burst into flames that consume basically the entire eighth floor almost is what they said. Like it just, it goes out of control very quickly. Oh yeah. So there's one more scene I want to talk about. Okay. And I know that we've been arguing on the whether this is a love story or this was, you know, her quest to make him a thrall. And I think that this scene perfectly shows what kind of person little Abby is. Like we've dedicated this whole podcast to how is Abby? Is Abby good? She's evil. No, she's she's not evil. So you ready for it? Okay. Here's the scene. Let me paint you a picture. Paint me the picture so that way their viewers at home know what the scene is too. You're in a tunnel and you're running because, you know, you care about your your health and your wellness and your exercise. I'm going to stop you right there. That one was because she was hungry. Dog, you can't use hunger as an excuse to pretend to be helpless so that you can get someone to literally pick you up and coddle you like a child. Because that's her whole fucking trick. It's just like Interview with the Vampire. Like the little girl vampire in that, you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Like she uses her cuteness and her perceived innocence and her perceived sweetness to fool people because she's not a sweet little girl. Like she's like, oh, I'm 12. (laughs) I've been 12 for a long time. No, she's not. She's not a sweet little girl. She's at least probably in her 60s or 70s. Because she was a vampire when she met other dude. So she's at least done this for one cycle, murdering countless people. There's not a life that exists 
where you feed off of other people, where you're a good person. She's clearly evil. That scene proves it because she she sits there, acts helpless, and then convinces this guy to help her, to protect her, and then rips him apart. And that's also a badass scene because of the way it's shot in the tunnel and they're silhouetted and she's bouncing on its back. But I would argue that that shows that she's good because he looks at her with this helpless intent while she's feeding and she immediately snaps his neck to put him out of his misery because he's still alive. If she was evil, she would have just kept sucking. No, she snaps his neck not to not to put him out of his misery because you saw what happens if she bites someone and doesn't finish them. They turn into fucking half vampires and eat their own arms. I like, mean, that's she, what that was about. It had nothing to do with her being helpful and wanting to make it to where he doesn't suffer. It was 100%. I don't want to create another little vampire dude to get me caught. No. Totally disagree because he looks at her and she snaps his neck i don't know man agree to disagree i guess hey all i'm saying is sometimes you have to lure your food into a trap think of her as a hunter okay it would be the same thing if she was a hunter and he was a deer and she had some fucking corn laying on the ground and the deer comes to the clearing to eat the corn and then she shoots him same thing does that make the hunter evil it would if the person he was if it was a person he was hunting but it's not a person because it doesn't matter to her anymore all they are is a food source she views people as a food source because that's what they are right so that's why owen is her thrall he's not an equal to her he is someone who exists to help her eat even richard she fed on him before she dropped him out the window because he offered he offers his neck as his last thing because he knows what's going to happen is she's going to feed on him. He can let, because he loves her, he is going to let her use him for nutrients one last time because he knows that she will give him that sweet release of death so that way he does not have to go to prison because that's where he's headed. He's headed to prison. He in order to protect her, deformed himself by pouring acid on his face so nothing could be linked back to her. Everything that he did was to protect her. But the whole reason he was doing it was because she made him do it. She didn't make him do anything. She said, what do I have to do? Do I have to go out and do it? Which is textbook manipulation. No, she went out and did it. Right. But the way she said it to him was manipulative. It was not manipulative at all. She was emotional. I will say that she was emotional and put emotion into it, but she was not manipulative. She was not manipulative at all. I don't know why you're looking at me like that. Because I, I just the language she used to me is indication of trying to be manipulative. For example, you don't do the dishes. Your girlfriend wants you to do the dishes. She's like, oh, do I have to do everything around here? That's her trying to manipulate you into doing the dishes by saying, oh, you don't do anything. I do everything. But then she immediately starts doing the dishes. Right. To to manipulate him. Like, like oh, you're not going to feed me? No problem. I'll just go risk my life and risk my safety doing it myself. Well, it is proven that she's not as strong as she could be because the small neighbor dog's girl boyfriend pulls her off she's feeding on the girl and he comes and pulls her off which to me shows that maybe she's not as strong as she could be but then the dude in the tunnel kind of fucks him up pretty easy i mean i think that's because it was a confined space not only confined space but also she had him like super surprised and immediately started out with the bite to the neck so see, that's my other thing is maybe she's not as strong. Like obviously, from a twelve-year-old's perspective, she'll fucking rip them all. Even if she's not as strong, that doesn't make her less bad. No, I don't think she's bad. I think she cares. I think she genuinely cares about Owen. And let me tell you why: because she knew that he really liked the now and afters, not the now and later's, because copyright, you know. But the now and afters, she ride one because she saw how much he liked them and how much it meant to her even though it made her sick 
see once again i don't think that that was her doing it because she likes them i think that that was her doing it because it's easier to manipulate someone who thinks you like them no because why would she hurt herself she knew the implications of it right but she was also fine like how do we know that her throwing up and gagging like that wasn't her playing a game to show owen oh look, I ate that, it made me sick, look at me suffering, I'm doing this suffering right in front of you, and you know it's because I ate that thing for you, so now you feel bad because you caused me this suffering, now you have to do something for me. Murder people and give me their blood. I think you're just seeing the bad and the negative in people. I think that that's the issue. The bad people in this movie were Kenny and his group of friends. They were just little kids. No, they were they were not little kids, okay? That kid, all right, Kenny, would later grow up and start a whole entire fucking rampage on a school because some girl killed themselves, okay? Is are you making a joke because of the actor? Yeah. Is it the I don't I don't know what what TV show or movie you're referring to. Oh, he's the main guy in 13 Reasons Why. I would see Dylan I haven't seen Minnette. that. Yeah, I haven't seen that, bro. Yeah, he goes from bullying a kid to the point of suicide and murder to advocating for suicide victims. Yeah, so see, he grew up to, like, had had Abby not ripped him apart, he would have become an outstanding member of society. No, I think that he was reincarnated. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so Let Me In and 13 Reasons Why are connected. Yeah, same universe. Yeah, Kenny was just reincarnated. Nobody, but you didn't know that, did you? You're welcome. Never looking at that the same again, are you? But what else would you dislike about it? There, It felt kind of slow during the second act, I think. So between the period of time where he starts hanging out with her and she kills the cop, mm-hmm. during that period of time, to me, the movie became slightly boring. This is good character development, bud. It was good character manipulation. No, but no, that's that's the 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 reasons that this movie didn't score higher for me is because the movie felt, you know, like it's kind of been done before because you've seen other movies with children vampires and you've seen other movies where they pretend to be sweet interview with the vampire as an example, although I don't think this is a copy of that by any stretch of the imagination. But because the concept's not wholly original, it's one of the major factors. And then I got slightly bored during the second act. Well, what about the second act bored you? Let me ask you that. It was just, it seemed like pointless character development. And it wrapped itself back around in a way that seemed not pointless, but unnecessary i guess which i guess is the same as pointless but it's not as harsh it's a easier way to say that nicer way i guess yeah it's just a lot of it felt unnecessary the way that it started in the middle of the movie and then circled itself back around doing the two weeks earlier thing i don't know to me that's lazy writing i kind of enjoyed it because it does that this is the end and you don't know anything about it, so it kind of makes you wonder. Like, it, it just shows you the alternate perspective of it. So, I did like how they cut to two weeks earlier. And then the point of reference wasn't at the end of the movie. It was about halfway through. Right. I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that was something good that they did. That was just good decision making. Yeah. But, no, it, like I said, I there's nothing super specific. I just, I got a little bored. Which I can say that that's understandable. What about you? Why isn't it a solid straight five for you, son? So the main reason is because of the bedroom scene, I guess. Oh, yeah, that was uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable. And the whole thought process of this 12-year-old and 60-70-year-old man was uncomfortable, even though she's like 300 or whatever. It doesn't ever say. No, it doesn't, That, but you could assume that she's 300. Oh, yeah, because she's had a series of thralls. Lovers, anyway. But that's that's the kind of thing is that was a little, I mean, 
it it's just uncomfortable, I guess. No matter how you slice it up, because mentally, she's twelve. But then again, you have seen some of those three hundred year old vampires that retain a lot of information and don't act twelve. So. Yeah, her acting childish could have one hundred percent been a game she was playing to weaken Owen's defenses. You are so stuck on that. I don't think I'll ever change your mind. The only the only way my mind could be changed is if the original writer, John, was to roll up on me and be like, Hey, listen, she wasn't actually evil. She was just a little girl in unfortunate circumstances who had been a little girl in unfortunate circumstances for a very long time. That's the only way. All right. Let me in as a dark and violent love story, a beautiful piece of cinema, and a respectful rendering of my novel for which I am grateful. Came from the author. Let me read it to you, Ian. Let me in as a dark and violent love story, a beautiful piece of cinema, and a respectful rendering of my novel for which I am grateful. Give me do it one more time just to prove my point. If you want. No. So, okay, but here's my thing about that. And this might be a controversial opinion. Controversial opinion. If she is hundreds of years old, potentially, or even if she's at least 60, which she is because the guy, Richard, was at least in his, like, 50s or 60s. Right. And she was a vampire clearly when they started doing their thing. She is no longer a little girl. So she's a grown-ass woman. She might be in a little girl's body, but that's just like the 25-year-old woman who looks 12. She's still however old she actually is, even if she's in a 12-year-old's body. So it's a so much darker movie if if it's actually being painted as a love story, because then it's grooming. Yeah, exactly. And that is what I thought this whole podcast conversation was going to be about. Because I thought that you would have seen it like that for the love story that it is a coming-of-age love story. And then we could have talked about that. And then you went with the, she is making him a thrall. Well, her making him a thrall to me is a lot less dark of a concept than her basically manipulating this child into being her sex slave for the rest of his life. Isn't that what a thrall is? No, a thrall is just a servant who does whatever you want, whatever you want in this situation being collecting blood. But if you're if if it's truly trying to be painted as, oh, no, they're lovers, then this is even more fucked up than I initially imagined. Yeah. Why, folks? Sex slave. That's what they do. Rich white folks make them sex slaves. (sighs) Get out. Okay. Get the fuck out right now. That was good. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about or do you want to go into the Taylor talk? Let's Taylor talk it up. What's up, dog? What you got? Where did you come from? Where did you go? What do you got? Cotton Eye Joe. I hate you. Me too. Well, do you have any vampire movies that you would like to talk about? Any good vampire movies? Because the one that immediately comes to my mind is 30 Days of Night. So I guess for this Taylor talk, we'll talk about other vampire movies that are influential. Because I feel like 30 Days of Night is pretty influential. It was the first it was the first vampire movie that was extremely brutal. And it was kind of this... Well, for, for me, it was. Let me just... Let me preface it by saying the first movie that I watched where vampires were extremely brutal. And the one scene that I love is the aerial shot of the town where they're going through and just slaughtering everybody like cattle. So to me, 30 Days of Night is the best vampire movie. The sequel doesn't exist. And were there any... I mean, obviously you could probably lump in Twilight, Interview with a Vampire. I mean, Interview with a Vampire is good, and I know I referenced it a lot in this episode, but that's only because it has another child vampire. I don't really think they're related at all beyond that one aspect. And the way the child vampires get their victims are similar. Right. You could say that it borrowed because Interview with the Vampire came out first. Yeah. It was based on the book by Anne Rice that probably came out in the 80s. 70s, I think. Maybe 70s. At least 80s. I don't know for sure. It could have been 90s for all I know. I think it came out in the 70s and then the film came out in the 90s. And Let Me In 
or let the right one in was uh, early 2000s, right? Yeah, early 2000s. Three Days of Night by David Slade, 2007. That's super solid. I really like it. But one that I think was surprisingly brutal, and rewatching it as an adult, it's not as brutal, was Lost Boys from 1987. Oh, that's another classic with the Corys. Yeah, it's got Corey Heim and Corey Feldman, who have a lot of history, which we could do a whole podcast episode talking about them and conspiracy theories regarding them and allegations against Hollywood and Hollywood's elite, but we're not doing that. (laughs) No, because that would be an entire episode that would be about three hours long and we would just call it Two Idiots, Two Corys. Yeah, exactly. But no, I think Lost Boy was really good. And one really cool thing about that is it has Cry Little Sister as like its uh, featured song. And I don't know if you know this, but Marilyn Manson did a cover of that that's really good. I did not know that. Yeah, so, you know, if you like Lost Boys, you like Cry Little Sister, I would listen to the Marilyn Manson cover of the song because I think it's badass. But another important vampire movie is uh, obviously Bram Stoker. Bram Stoker. Um, Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> we're not talking about the porno version of that. Yes, uh, not, not Bram Stoker. Brom Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, Brom Stoker's Dicula. Yeah. <laughs> See, I just threw you off. You're yeah. welcome. But no, it was a uh, 1992 directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, and I love me some Francis Ford Coppola. Cop Coppola Coppola. Acapella. So you said you said Dicolo. Uh huh. Di- what? Nothing. You said sub- Dicula. Dicula. So Dicula and Coppola. Was that was that intentional because they kind of sound similar? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because okay. like acapella. Well, no, like Francis Ford Coppola. 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 That's a really good vampire movie. It's probably the first one that I remember seeing when I was little, and the scene that sticks out the most to me is the intro scene, where it shows him getting his vampirism. 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 But, and it's on the battlefield, and he's like got that big ass sword, and he finds out his wife dies and he drinks the blood. Like, that's so badass. Like, that whole series of shots is forever, has forever penetrated my mind. Well, yeah, because it's Francis Ford Coppola. Very possible. And you also have to say that Bram Stoker's Dracula, the book. <laughs> Right. Was the first vampire novel. Technically, they did the monster movie Dracula in the 30s. And I would say that that... The first vampire movie was Nosferatu in 1922. Did Nosferatu come before yeah. Dracula? Yeah, Nosferatu came before Dracula. Oh, shit. Okay. I did not know that one. Yep. The first va- the first vampire portrayal on screen was 1922, and it was Nosferatu. That blows my mind. Yeah, Bela Lugosi's Dracula, all of that was uh, a number of years later. That blows my mind. Okay. Have you, so have you never seen Nosferatu? It's it's a silent film. No, I have seen Nosferatu. I just did not realize that that came out before Bela Lugosi. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, wow, okay. I got to do some research on vampire movies, obviously. I'm not in the know. Oh, that's okay. I guess you learned something new. That's really cool. All right. Well, that's the whole purpose of us doing this podcast. You teach me stuff. I teach you stuff. Hopefully, we both teach the audience stuff. Hopefully, the audience was just as surprised. That was your fun little fact. Nosferatu was first. Yeah. And I'll never forget that. Yeah, because it's recorded in history now. So if you tell someone in the future, oh, I didn't know that, they have audio evidence of you learning it. Because it'll be in the annals of history. Yeah, it'll be like Slumdog Millionaire. Definitely not. Yeah. Well, what other what other ones do you have besides Twilight? Because that was pretty inspirational. Because for a while there, people really really liked vampires or really really hated vampires. Well, you know I'm a Wes Craven fan. I love Scream. I love Nightmare on Elm Street. I love Wes Craven. So I can't talk about vampire movies without talking about his vampire movie. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 
What am I talking about? I don't want to talk about it. Vampire in Brooklyn with Eddie motherfucking Murphy. Yeah. I think that's an amazing vampire movie. You know, I've only seen that once. When? Many, many years ago because it was one of those things where I was in a Wes Craven kick and kind of just watching whatever he had came across that. I might need to revisit it. You definitely do because the amount of excitement in your voice right now tells me that you don't love this movie the way you ought to. I know I don't love this movie. And if I had to give it a ranking right now from one to five, it would probably be like a 1.5. Really? I haven't seen it in a couple of years, but it's an easy three in my memory core. Yeah, my memory core of it was not a good... It was one of the weaker Wes Craven movies and just a not very good vampire movie. That's cold-blooded. Like vampires in the hey, event that they had blood. Then it would be cool. <laughs> but that that's one that maybe I need to revisit because I don't fondly remember it, but we'll see on that. I mean, maybe not. If you weren't into it, then, you know... It happens. I think you should revisit it because I think it's a solid movie. Any of our listeners who haven't seen it, if you want a funny vampire movie with a few horror elements, but not like overwhelmingly horror, then I would definitely watch Vampire in Brooklyn. And if you want a better movie that is funny and doesn't have a lot of horror elements to it, or would be Scream. Right, but that's not very vampire-y. No. It's just a better Wes Craven movie. It is a better Wes Craven movie. So the only other uh, vampire thing related I have to talk about is The Strain, which that isn't about vampires. It's about Strigoli or Stromboli or something. Stromboli. No, it's a, like I think it's like Stragoli or something. But it's basically vampires, and it's pretty cool. It was an FX series in like 2015, probably. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Okay. It's got like the vampires that faces open up kind of like a Resident Evil style. Yes. I I did not watch that, but I know what you are talking about. They're vampires, but they're like Eastern European vampires based off of like actual lore and stuff, which actual lore, folklore. But still, pretty interesting. It's a pretty solid series, at least the first two or three seasons, which is what I watched were. I'm really surprised you didn't talk about Daybreakers. See, I like Daybreakers, but I haven't seen the movie recently enough to know that it's solid enough for me to want to talk about. So I think the only reason it's solid enough is because of the way it portrays vampires. They go out in the daytime. They have cars that block out all of the sun. They're able to function in society like it is a society of vampires that farm humans like cattle. Because that's what they are. And they just don't care. That's the uh, future that Abby's hoping for. That's not the future that Abby's hoping for. Because she's not evil. And I think that that needs to be talked about just because of that. It's been a very long time since I've seen it too, but I remember it standing out as a vampire movie because it gave a unique twist and spin on the vampire genre just because they go out in the daytime and have self-driving cars that black everything out. What about True Blood? (laughs) Vampire porn's pretty cool, I guess. They're Sookie Stackhouse novels, bro. Did you ever read any of the books? No. So I've seen all of True Blood, and I've read the first like two or three books that they were based off of. It's interesting. I never could get into True Blood. I, I respect what True Blood did, don't get me wrong, and I think that you can talk about True Blood when you talk about good vampire stuff, but it just I never really got into it. That's understandable. But one, of, one of those HBO shows that I was like, eh. But with if unless you have anything else? No, no, I'm good. I think those are those are the only vampire movies that stand out in my mind. So, Well, in that case, if you'd like to get a hold of us, please contact us at 2idiots1podcast2022 at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook. There's a link in our description. You know, check us out on YouTube. Like, comment, subscribe. 
do do your thing and we appreciate anyone who's made it this far listening and i hope you have a wonderful rest of your day this has been bailey and this has been taylor and this has been two idiots one podcast thank you very much for listening bye bye